take your Bibles and open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Are you ready for a little Bible trivia this morning? One question. The answer is not in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And for all of our junior high and high school students, the answer is not Jesus. And, and I'll ask the question that you can, if you know the answer, you can tell your neighbor, someone in front or behind or beside. Where is fire first mentioned in the Bible? It's found in the book of Genesis. And you have to only go as far as the third chapter. It's the first place the fire is mentioned because Adam and Eve have been exiled from the Garden of Eden. And as they're exiled from the Garden of Eden, God says, sends cherubim. And by the way, that cherubim in scripture, it's plural. There's more than one. And they have fiery swords that go every which way that keep people out of the Garden of Eden. In fact, uh, history... Uh, and not in the Bible, just mentions a story of, of Adam walking with Cain and Abel when they were just little, little guys. And Abel looked up and dad and saw that cherubim with the flaming fire sword and said, dad, what's that place? And, you know, Adam did what most husbands would do. He looked at the sun and said, well, that's where your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> and what we don't realize, by the way, about fire, it is a major topic throughout scripture. You find the next place in scripture in Genesis chapter 15, you have the Abraham covenant, or, and in that covenant it is ratified as there are two pieces that are being ready to sacrifice, and the fire walks between them, and the covenant is ratified. So in one respect, fire holds people out. You have to go, to, you have to go through the fire in order to get to paradise. Fire also takes that covenant and it ratifies it. And then, of course, you have the most common one, the, the bush that is on fire and is not burning up. It's not being consumed. And in that moment, as Moses says the most interesting thing to me, gee, this is interesting. I think I'll turn aside and take a look at it. And it forever alters his life. His life is never the same after encountering the fiery presence of the Lord. Then the deliverance of the Israelites happen, and as they're leaving their land, they have the cloud by day and fire by night. Mount Sinai, they experience the fiery presence of God in a way that, that caused fear that kept people away. It was fire and smoke that enveloped the top of Mount Sinai. The Mount Sinai. First Kings, you have, you have the moment where Elijah is, is dealing with the prophets of Baal. And, and he, by the way, he was the first trash talker. Because if you read that chapter, that's exactly what happens. He's trash talking. Where's your God? Maybe he's going to the bathroom and leaving himself. He's trash talking. And when it's his turn, he cakes and he pours water over everything and it fills up the trenches. He pours a lot of water. But fire comes from heaven and it changed things. 
And then you have Isaiah being taken into the presence of God and, and, and he's there in the throne room and one of the seraphims takes a coal, a fiery coal, and touches his lips. There's this purifying dynamic that takes place when the, the fire of God met the sin of the flesh. Then John the Baptist comes, and John the Baptist, he's, he says, I baptize with water, but one comes who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Of course, the day of Pentecost comes, and as the day of Pentecost comes, there are divided tongues as fire that rests on each one of them. But what's so fascinating to me is the book of Revelation. Because there's, there's, no more, uh, there's no more illustration of fire anywhere in the Bible than in the book of Revelation. Because what you find in Revelation, you, you find that, that uh, this, this fire, it, it, it describes the eyes of Jesus in heaven. That in the throne room, there are these, these, these seven torches of fire. An angel takes a censer filled with fire and throws it toward the earth. You find when the trumpets start to be blown, the first trumpet, you have, you have fire and hail that come. The second trumpet, you have, says that something, and this is fascinating to me, something like a mountain burning with fire hits the sea. And the third trumpet blows, you have a star. And that star, it comes blazing like a torch of fire. Its name is Wormwood. The sixth trumpet, you have four angels that are bound in the Euphrates that are released to kill one-third of the population on the earth. And in that killing of the population, it comes a number of different ways, but in part, it's an army. And what's so interesting about the army is that the breastplate of the army on the, on, the, on the soldiers, wear breastplates, the scripture says, the color of fire. And it begins to describe this war that will take place. And as they, as they describe the war that takes place, there, there's this, this, this reality that, there, that there's smoke and fire that comes from the mouth that kills. Revelation 10 describes an angel that is wrapped in a cloud and it has legs as pillars of fire. Chapter 14, you have the angel who has power over fire. In, John 5, or in Revelation 15, you, John sees a sea of glass mingled with fire. Chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18. Chapter 19, chapter 20, all have references to fire. Chapter 21, it says this, But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to disassociate ourselves from that kind of reality. 
But if you were alive and you saw what took place on September 11th, 2001, you saw planes hit buildings that are a hundred stories tall, and people are faced with their lives going to death, being crumbled and burnt by fire, or jumping out of a window, they chose jumping out of a window. The horrific nature of fire cannot be understated. Because the fiery judgment is intended to be scary. The ungodly will face that judgment. And I want you to see this. This is very important for us to understand. That in scripture, you have bookends of fire. You have the fire that kept them out of paradise. And then you have the fire that the unrighteous will be thrown into. But that's different for Christians. You don't have to live with those bookends of your life, by the way. What, what, what a missionary told me a number of years ago that just so resonated in my heart and stuck with me, that, that life and our life, for the, for the believer, our life's bookends are books of mercy. We, see, we, receive, we see, receive salvation and we get this opportunity to enter into a life with God. And then when we die, we receive mercy when we stand before the Almighty God. But in between that, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, for the one who puts their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, our lives are filled with the book of grace. Aren't you glad for the books of mercy? I am. Because in, and, and through God's grace, he says, now I, my, my, there's something about my dynamic that is fire, but that fire is not something that has to hold you back. The fire is not something that I'm going to throw you into, but it's going to be a fire that I'm going to give you. It's going to refine you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to inspire you. It's going to enable you. The fiery presence of God. Jesus came that we might be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we become this city that's on a hill, lit, for all to see, to all to come to, because we are keepers of the flame. Are you a keeper of the flame? For those of you worried, I got a fire extinguisher right over here. I did this in our house last night and really got in trouble. Think you got in trouble with the chainsaw? Just saying. But listen. And I really want you to get this this morning. It's so important for us, and we're going to develop a little bit. As keepers of the flame, we are called to carry and care for the presence of God. We're called to carry. It's the, if you're taking notes, it's, this is the connect point today. You gotta, we're called to carry and care for the presence of God. When... The Israelites left Egypt. The fire was overhead for a people. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and set the, sent the Spirit, the fire became personal. The fire of God's presence, it's experienced in a people, but it's intended in the person. Because we're intended to be keepers of the flame. And so, Paul is writing to Timothy. 
And <laughs> sorry for stressing some of you. He's writing Timothy, and I, I want us to look as, as he's writing this, this first part of this letter to Timothy. And he says, he says these words, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now you. There's that generational thing. Generation of torchbearers. Keepers of the flame. He says, I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'm not going to spend much time on the last part of that, but I want you to make the connection between that spirit that we are given, this, this presence of God that we are given that is not a spirit of fear, but of love, power, love, and self-control. If you compare that to the unrighteous in Revelation chapter 20, you'll see that God has given us everything not to be associated with those that are called into the fire. So he says to Timothy to fan into the flame. Paul wrote 1 Timothy, they believe, in, in 67 AD. And that, that was at a time where Nero had already began to blame the Christians for starting fires and he blamed them and it caught hold because the early Christians taught of salvation and fire. And so Paul, by this time, is now in prison. And not only is he in prison, he's, not now, he's no longer in a house prison. Now he's in a, a Mamertine dungeon. And if you can imagine this, this, this big rock hole where the only light, the only place that air came from was a hole up here. And so Paul sits in this dungeon and he's writing Timothy in this second letter. And really as he's writing it, it's, 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 it's literally, he may not know this, but it's his final inspired will and testament. Because he knows he's facing death. So for him, he's alone because everybody had left him. He's cold, undoubtedly. He's considered an evildoer. And so his message to Timothy is, don't be cold, don't be confused, don't be corrupted, and don't forget about me. And if you read 2 Timothy, that's what you're going to find. Because where Paul is in a position now where all of his stewardship of being a keeper of the flame has ended him in this dungeon. So he recognizes that he needs to pass it on to another keeper of the flame. And he wants Timothy to know that you carry and care for the presence of God. And so for us, we recognize 
that as keepers of the flame, we carry and care for the presence of God. So how do we do that? Well, that's the whole grow piece, because I think this is something we're always growing into. I'm a, I'm a much different keeper of the flame today than I was 25 years ago. But in that growth, it always started within the acceptance. You have to accept. Without accepting, you're not going to be a keeper of the flame. There's the initial acceptance. The initial acceptance is when you hear about a fiery hell, when you hear about God setting up angels with flaming swords, keeping people out from paradise, and something inside of you, something in your heart just twinges just a little bit, and you say, I don't want to be that person. There's Jesus. And Jesus says, I will save you from that. And what you're experiencing in that moment is the love of the heavenly father, a flame of love that he wants to transfer into your heart so you know that your destiny is secure in Jesus Christ. So we have to accept that. And I pray that you've done that today. If you're watching online, I pray that you've done that. Because there's coming a day where fire will be an existence continually for people who say no to that love. But there's a second work of grace. The first grace of, work of grace has to do with the salvation of Jesus. But the second work of grace has to do with what was written in Acts chapter 2, where, where clothes of tongues, like tongues of clothes of tongues, uh, were set on each person's head. What happened in that moment was they had already experienced the flame of the love personally. Now, they experienced the fire of the love that meant to be extended. See, the first, and, and Christians so often forget this, the first flame in our life is meant for us personally. The second flame in our life is meant for him. Because every time we take this flame and we do the godly things with it, he's glorified. So, so remember this, the first one for us is us, for us personally. You're going to get to heaven by the first one. You're going to be judged on what your heaven is going to be like by the second one. This is why I like the people that are in this room, the people that are watching online. It's not just a matter of, boy, I've got the ticket to heaven. I recognize that, that I am a flamethrower, or a flame, a carrier of the flame. I felt like it was being thrown there for a second. All of you stressing out there, it's going to be okay. So for me, as a follower of Jesus, the first Sunday of the year 1990, I had made the decision I was going to follow Jesus, and I'm not going to go into my, my full testimony here, but I, I went, I had already made the acceptance, I went to a little church in, in January of, uh, of 1990, it was the first Sunday, I walked in, and, and it was in Mesa, Arizona, and in January, Mason, Arizona, all the retirees from Iowa and Illinois and South Dakota and North Dakota come down for the winter. So I walk in the back of the room, and there's a sea of white. It's Okay. I go in there, and, and, and I sat right in the back. I just nestled in back there. No one was going to notice me. And, the, and Oliver Swaim, the preacher at the time, he, he, uh, he, says, he says at the end of service, if you want to receive Jesus, I want you to come up front. And, we, and, and I didn't really fully know what was going on, but I had tears running down my mind. Because, because it's, not, it's not something you read in a book. 
It's not something that is, you, you eat or you breathe. Something happens inside and a fire gets ignited that softens our heart. And, the, and the, the language of the heart, the language of the soul for the believer is oftentimes expressed in tears. And I began to cry because I experienced a love that while I personally was raised in a loving home that cared about me. And, and, and I, I moved to Arizona so I could sin on my own without worrying about my parents. But I, but I, but I experienced this love. But then as I, as I went back Sunday after Sunday, they, they said, we're taking a missions trip to Mexico. Who wants to go? I said, I want to go. And it was before church and there was a, a room where we would go back and we would pray before service started. And I was praying and the Lord says, good, I'm glad you want to go. Now let me give you the love to start extending beyond you. And it was there in that room that I began to speak in another tongue. Not a tongue of man. It wasn't bad Swahili as earlier. It wasn't the mediocre Spanish that followed. It was a tongue of angels. And that tongue of angels reminded me that I now am a keeper of the flame, not for myself, but now there can be an extension of the fiery love of God for those that I would be around. But what you find in this acceptance, there's this, there's this initial and there's this, and there's this second work of grace, but there's also a situational acceptance. And this is the challenge to the church in America. This will be a challenge for some of you. You're okay walking in, into a Sunday morning and having your flame held high, but the moment you go home, you shut it off. And what people experience, what your kids experience, what your family experience, what your neighbors experience, what your coworkers experience is not the love of the fire of God. It's the flesh that's still reigning in our own hearts. And so God will come and he'll say, you know, I'm going to really challenge you with that behavior. And the Holy Spirit's saying, I want to ignite that. Now I pray that that part of your heart is not so wet that the Holy Spirit has to take you through a real hard time to get it dry, but he will. He loves you. So he'll chastise you, the scripture says, because he wants to light in a particular situation, the fire of the presence of God, not for you but for those that are around you. And so you have to make that decision. And some of you, the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to make a situational choice to be a keeper of a flame in an area that you have not allowed. You've been cowardly. You've been cowardly in regards to, to Jesus. And so we start by the accepting, but then what you got to do, you got to rouse it. So there's this rousing that takes place. Rousing simply means to wake something or cause something to be active. This is why they say the people that attend church every Sunday, they live longer than people who don't. Because every week something's aroused in us. There should be. Hopefully there is. What I, what I believe, and, and it was evident here today, by the way, is that is, it isn't a bunch of dry wood that comes it's a bunch of torchbearers, a bunch of keepers of the flame that comes, and, and it, it goes from one to something bigger to something bigger, right? That's what we're praying for. Paul said to Timothy, this is, this is something that is not uncommon for anybody, he says to Timothy, in these last words to him, he says, remember to do this. Remember to fan in. Because what life does is life has a way of attempting to distinguish. It, it tends to try to steal the love that is burning in our hearts. And, and you will only love people as much as you know you are loved by the Father. Now let me say that again. You will only love as much as you know that you're loved by the Father. And so Paul says to Timothy, remember to fan into the flames. So whenever, whenever you are in your car, you're at home, and you begin to praise, and you begin to declare the goodness of God, 
You begin to worship him. You begin to speak in other tongues. What's happening? You're rousing something up in the spirit. And so when Paul's talking about praying in other tongues, he says, he says prophecy's good for the church because, you know, people understand it and they're, get, they're getting roused. But there's a personal dynamic that rouses our own heart, our own spirit, our own, own spirituality when we pray in tongues. I think on a continuing, ongoing basis as much as possible. I believe that the life groups, when we come together, that's a place for rousing. I was so, I, I just speak to a minute, I, I went, you guys called it the cell group. I'm going to call it a life group. Forgive me, because we're going to have to have a lot of grace in the room. But I went to your guys' life group two Saturdays ago. And I walked away. And in my heart, I'm just going, there's such a presence of Jesus as if it was the first church meeting in, in this house. Because as, as there was a number of things on cool games for the kids, the, watching the kids worship and these things. And then when it kind of opened up and, and without me saying anything, James says, all right, let's talk about what God's doing. I was like, yes, yes. And one of the young ladies says, you know, I have this song. I want to sing this song. Because Paul says when you come together, you speak, to, speak in spiritual things, but you, but you sing hymns too. It's, it's not intended just for somebody playing a guitar, somebody at the piano. We have a song in our heart because there's a flame that burns there. We're keepers of this flame. And so we say, man, I got to keep that going. I don't want it to die down. So we, as we come together, more than just on a Sunday, which is more like that, that bonfire, we come together in this campfire and we, we spur one another on to good works. And we encourage people, each other in the faith. But the other part that, that is, is so, so oftentimes left out in our life, because again, we get, we get scared. We, we think people are going to think poorly of us. And, and whatever, whatever the, the motivation for not doing it is, is, is that that flame needs to be propagated. It needs to multiply. Propagating means to cause to multiply. So you, you carry this fire. I won't light this anymore for those of you stressing already. You carry this flame so you can do this. Now... You've, you've experienced people who extend the gospel and they take the flame and they burn people with it. That is not what we're called to do. We're called to, to, to live differently, to look differently. And when I say look differently, I'm, I'm not talking that it was just dressing weird or any of that stuff. I'm talking about a glow and a radiance that's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's the, it's the kind of thing where, where when everybody else is gossiping about a person, you go and shut them down and encourage the person they're gossiping about. It's, it's the kind of flame that recognizes the need and says, wait a minute, I can give to that. So I'm going to put my flame there. Because you're taking the love that initially came into your heart, but now that you've been given that power of the Holy Spirit, you take that love and you extend it. But here's the other beautiful thing is that is that there are so many different opportunities. When, how many of you remember when Convoy of Hope and Bruce was here? Uh, Bruce was, did a great job. But one of the things that just kind of just, I just, he did something when we took him out to lunch. He looked at our, our waiter, and I would, I've done this a number of times since because I thought it's so cool, because it's a great way to extend your flame. He looked at our waiter and said, man, you have done such a fabulous job serving you. Can I pray for you? Is there anything I could pray with you about? And he just started going on about the things that he could use prayer about. 
We don't think about prayer as a way of extending our frame, but I'm telling you, it's a wonderful way, wonderful way to extend the flame. One of our, one of our people at Bethel, they were in Washington, D.C., and they, they said to me, they always try to make a commitment that whenever they're in an Uber, they're going to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. And their Uber driver was a, an Iranian guy whose, uh, whose fiance was still in Iran. And uh, because of visa issues, she's stuck there. And just, just a quickening of the Holy Spirit says, here's how you can extend it. And he said to him, can I pray for you in Jesus' name? And before he got out of the car, he took seven minutes with a Muslim and prayed in the name of Jesus. More can be done with a Muslim, a Hindu, an agnostic, and an atheist with the power of a resurrected Christ than our four-point sermons can ever do. So you look for opportunities in our circle of influence to take that torch and go, can I just light it up here? And we end up propagating it. So let me just leave you a couple things to to leave with, because I think they're certainly the way the Holy Spirit is moving us this morning would have us respond a couple different ways. The first area in that go is we're going to, we need to repent. And in this repenting, basically all we're saying is, Lord, whatever, whatever has gone that I've done, I've tendency is to turn more away from you. And I just got to turn back to the consuming fire and get weak. Now, it doesn't mean, when I say repent, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means that there's a, there, the, the life, situations, whatever it is, has taken the flame of your heart and it's diminished it. And so you don't have the flame to give. So you turn back to the Lord. The biblical word for that is repentance. Lord, come and light the flame of my heart. And then you receive it. You just, you just literally... Whether, whether, whether in a group of people, whether in your, in your life group or just individually, you just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, light me on fire here. He will not disappoint. And so you've got, you've got to say, I'm going to receive it. For those of you that are struggling with situations that you're unwilling to, 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 to take that flame and be a keeper of the flame in a particular situation, the Lord is saying, repent of that, but then receive what I have for you. Because when you receive, what you'll, what you'll find is he's going to say, now you can respond. Now you can turn and you can do this. You can, you can carry the light yes. everywhere. And you'll have these moments where you're going to be able to extend it. You're going to be able to extend it. And so as, as we've united here today around the presence of Jesus, we're given, we're given by the great God of heaven, you, us, we've been given this opportunity. God. A great opportunity. But we've also been given a great responsibility. Because not only have we been given this opportunity to carry, but we have to care for the presence of God in this generation. With the generation of young people who are looking to you, one of the things I like about our kids being in here as we sing is they see all the different ways people will glorify the God of heaven. They see people worshiping. They see the, and experience the presence and the power of Jesus beginning to move. I am praying, and I pray that you'll pray with me, that the great God of heaven would use us as keepers of the flame to usher in a last day revival that will bring glory and honor in the ushering in of Jesus Christ in the last days.
Now, before I close in prayer, I just, I want to just give you this illustration. That this, is, this is when I close my mind's eye and I allow the Holy Spirit show me what he would like to do. Like I think do. back to the year 2002. Clarissa and I are, are living in the White Mountains of Arizona. And every June, it's always a month of tension in the White Mountains because it's still Arizona. It's the largest concentration of ponderosa pines in the world that are incredibly dry. In 2002, there had been so little rain that they said that the lumber that you get in Home Depot had more moisture than that which was in the trees. And there was an out-of-work firefighter who thought, gee, I'll be a keeper of the flame. I'll start a fire and I'll have work. And so he started a forest fire. Someone a number of miles away was stranded. And so they started a fire to let people know that they were there. And, and one of the helicopters that had come to check out the other fire saw that fire, went down, picked it up, and left the fire going. And two fires merged together. It merged together and at that time created the largest fire in Arizona history. Clarissa and I were, we were evacuated from our home for two weeks. The, the, the fire in, encompassed 500,000 acres, but let me give you a little different context to how big that is. That is 781 square miles of fire. And what would happen is that the, the, during the, the day, the cloud, the plume, would be close to the ground because, because there, was, there was the heat. But at night, when it would cool down, the plume would rise in the air. And you would see this gigantic mushroom cloud kind of plume. But in the morning, when the heat came back, that plume would go boom. And it would cause the fire to go But now watch this. In the spirit in a last day revival where keepers of the flame take responsibility of the care and the carrying of the presence of God go like this in all different places. There are gonna be a time when it seems like it's cooling, but that's just something that's going up in the air and God's gonna say, oh, I'm gonna heat it up and it's gonna go boom and the fire of God's gonna spread. That's our prayer. That's our, why not? Why not? And why not us? And so, we just stand with me for a moment? And we just lift your hands and lift your voice to heaven and say, Lord, I want to carry the flame. I want to be the one. I would say, I will, I say, yes, Lord. I carry and care for your presence. Lord, forgive me. I accept responsibility. I repent for not extending like you want me to extend. Those specific areas, God, would you come and would you just move in our hearts in such a way, God, that, Lord, the fire would begin to consume that area of our life that is keeping the light from being shown in very specific places in the name of Jesus. For Lord, we collectively have come together and have united, but Lord, we want more than just a cool looking church. We want more than just incredible music. We want you, Lord. We want the presence of Jesus in us and through us. And so come in the might, in all of our various ways, in all the places that we touch, Monday through Saturday, extend yourself beyond us, we pray, as we desire to be the ones that usher in that last day revival. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Boy, if you prayed that with anything, say amen. amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.